0: I call it neutrality. You know, you have to remain neutral. You know, because if you just accept the box that somebody draws for you, and you're stuck in this cage, you know, of belief. You know, yeah. and I tell that to patients all day long. You know, I'm like, well, you know, that's why you're here, right? Because you want another opinion, yeah, another idea, and then let's explore this together. And that's, and I also have to remain open too. Like they right. might bring something new to me. That i'm not aware of and i'm like well let's look at it yeah you know because i don't have all the answers yeah and um so yeah so it's about exploration and neutrality mm-hmm. and staying open then that remaining hopeful you know because when we lose hope we lose everything you know right. and uh so i tell people you know i don't care how old you are or what age you are you know uh the body can heal and, and,
1: Hi everyone and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and on today's show, we have an incredible human. He is a healer, he is a chemist, he's a scientist, and he is trained in both Eastern and Western. Medicine And Scott is somebody who's been through his own healing journey, which started when he was only 18 months old. He started to suffer from epilepsy and we're going to be taking you through his journey of being diagnosed with epilepsy. And as a nine year old, starting to understand the connection between nutrition and his own health so that by the time he was 15 years old, he no longer studied, suffered from seizures and he was st- studying the science and the art of healing from all angles so a little bit more about Scott so he like I mentioned he started his health journey uh, when he was only 18 months old and then ever since he's made that commitment that if he was able to remove his disease from his own brain then he would go on for the rest of his life To help others do the same. You're going to learn all about Scott's dad who's an organic farmer and his dad's healing journey and you're going to learn all about how your body is a beautiful energetic electrical machine that has the power to heal and completely reverse diseases of all types no matter how old you are no matter where you are in the world you have the power to heal yourself. Now, Before we jump into the podcast, I just want to share a little bit about what's happening this summer. We just got back from our 22 million strong tour across British Columbia. It was a tough one. The hills were long and steep, the weather was hot, and the entire time we were basically chasing clear skies because of all the devastating fires that are across BC, Alberta, California, and really so many parts of the world right now are being ransacked by forest fires so we just want to send out a beautiful thank you and you know healing energy to all of the fire crews that are out there on the ground in the air that are working around the clock relentlessly trying to put out these wildfires so If you are playing outdoors, please remember no smoking, no fires, no lighting matches, do nothing that can trip a fire right now because of the fact these fires are spreading faster and more furiously than ever. What this showed me this summer is that climate change is 100% upon us. For any of you that were potential naysayers in the climate change uh, dialogue, it is upon us. It, we cannot deny it. The UN is 100% declaring that it is official and that we all need to band together and we need to start conserving our water. We need to start converting over to plant Strong whole foods, because this is one thing that you can do that can help heal the planet. Food production and distribution is one of the biggest contributors to climate change. And simply by eating more vegetables and more fruits and whole grains, you are going to be doing so much to contribute to bettering the planet and bettering your health. So it's a win 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 all around. Now, if you want to follow us on our 22 million strong training program please hop on over to our facebook group 22 million strong so you can get access to my upcoming training for yet another year as we prepare to Run and cycle across Canada to raise awareness that your body is a healing machine. Your body can reverse chronic disease, but only if you give your body all of the tools that it needs to be able to do so. And that number one tool, especially that is responsible for 95% of chronic illnesses that we are suffering from across this planet, the number one tool is your food, it is your nutrition. So On this podcast, we talk about all the other things that you can do from, you know, bettering your sleep to moving your body to uh, shifting your mindset. These are all very, very important, but we need to get your nutrition dialed first. And so this is a podcast to learn all about that. So without further ado, let's dive into this show with Scott Summer and learn all about his healing journey and the magic that he is creating All around the world in helping people reclaim their health and ultimately reclaim their life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Nicolette Richet. And on today's show, we have Scott Summer. Very excited to have you on the show and welcome.
0: Thank you so much. So excited to be here. This is Mm -hmm. awesome.
1: Yeah, very excited to have you, especially because you know, our show is all about reversing chronic degenerative illnesses, and you have reserve reversed a condition of your own. And we're going to be diving into that. Um, So what part of the world are you in right now, Scott?
0: I'm actually in uh, Northern California, actually in a small town called Rockland. And uh, yeah, so we're just in Northern California.
1: Nice. And how are the fires over there right now?
0: Uh, not great. Every yeah. year, pretty much this time of year, we just get. Uh, you can't even see the sky right now. It's pretty bad, and wow. so we don't even know where the fires are at this point. There's just so many. So um, yeah, just pray that they'll be put out soon.
1: Yeah, and I heard that. Um, I was on the roads uh, biking for a month. And, you know, we, I had to bite through all the smoke and I, we have, were we constantly trying to escape it because obviously I didn't want to put my lungs and my immune system at risk. And, um, but it's the same for us too. Like we have so much land burning, but my coach is in California and I looked at um, just what was happening and I couldn't believe it because it was uh, just at the beginning of July, and three times the amount of land was on fire compared to last year in California at the time when I checked. Yeah, that's wow. so it's just yeah, that's yeah. shocking. Yeah, it's yeah, getting worse sure. and worse. Sure. So I hope everyone in California is safe and able to um, you mm-hmm. know, do their best that they can do to not be inhaling that smoke, but it is yeah, affecting everywhere everyone across the planet right now. That's so true. Scott, we have about an hour together here. So I definitely want to get into the work that you do and your healing journey first um, and probably what contributed to you doing the work that you do in the world. But let's go back to when you were first diagnosed with epilepsy. When did that start?
0: Yeah. So basically I was about 18 months old and my parents, you know, um, who are very much, my dad was really the influencer in my family into organic farming. And, and uh, they just observed that uh, when I was outside, when they were working in the garden, that I would have these seizures. And so they brought me to my pediatrician. And uh, he basically, you know, would tell my parents that, you know, I had epilepsy at that age, and uh, that there really wasn't a whole lot that could be done. And that I would have to kind of live with this the rest of my life. And then that led to, you know, me being more consciously aware of this disease, and how it would affect me in the future. And that was about age nine. And at age nine, I remember meeting with my pediatrician, and he kind of sat me down like he always did. But that day, I remember vividly him saying, you know, um, you will never have a normal life, unless you fix this. And uh, he didn't offer me any cause. Uh, which is why I really do what I do uh, today, you know, with patients is giving them a cause of mm-hmm. their problem. And he didn't give me a solution either. And uh, as we know, you know, solutions are important, because they empower people when you know what to do about a problem. And exactly. So
1: yeah. So let's go back. Cause I'm really curious. I mean, I'm a mother of three and, you know, we have, um, you know, three kids, we have one that's been in and out of the um, hospitals um, and doctors have no idea why. And then, you know, they actually don't get too curious about it. They're just like, oh, okay, we're just going to treat it and move on, but not looking at the pattern. So for your parents at that time too, because you're in your forties, I'm guessing.
0: Uh, no, I'm actually in my uh, I'll be 55.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, hey, you're looking very, very you good know, and young and vibrant. The compliment. <laughs> yes. So, you know, so when you were 18 months old, I mean, we still don't know much about the human body. They say that, you know, overall, we probably know about 3% about how then, you know, the brain and the human body works. So, you know, what were they offering up as a potential cause of the epilepsy when you were 18 months? Or did the doctors just not know?
0: They just didn't know. Okay, yeah, they so- honestly didn't have any uh, clues at all. I, I think that actually, you know, I did get some vaccines, you know, at that time I, you know, there was just a few vaccines back Mm -hmm. at that time in the sixties that, um, you know, kids would get, that were just normal standard. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was a big part of it. And then there were other factors for me, like, uh, I put together a pattern, uh, just by, you know, between talking to my parents and just observation, one was dehydration And so that was always because I'd work on my dad's farm, you know, growing up on his farm, if I got dehydrated, that would always trigger an episode. Uh, The second thing was uh, just getting too much heat, too much sun, uh, almost like a heat stroke, you know, was the other thing. And then uh, the other part was food, you know, and blood sugar. And I realized over time that really high fat ketogenic diet, of course, is the really the antidote. You know lorenzo's oil the movie is really the antidote for uh, epilepsy and so those are the three clues that i had and then also the fourth was getting tired you know if i got too run down if i didn't get enough sleep uh then my brain would just kind of shut down and um which i know a lot of people can relate to Mm -hmm. but you know when you lose power completely an epileptic seizure. It's just really debilitating, uh, shocking to the body and mind. And it's, um, it's really scary. There's a lot of fear that goes along with that, you know,
1: Yeah, my youngest brother, I have three brothers, my youngest brother, he used to suffer from uh, seizures as well. And, you know, after a long day of skiing, getting to the car and then driving in the car for an hour and a half, and he would um, have a seizure. And it would be but with his, his were very, very mild. So a lot of the times they were undetected until, of course, he'd have a bigger one. And then we'd go in and then the doctors would do brain scans and tell us that, oh yeah, he's had multiple seizures actually over, you know, the course of the year or, or, or something like that. And how often were you getting seizures?
0: You know, I can't say that um, I really remember the frequency of them, you know, the, um, but I would say on average in the beginning, you know, uh, they haven't often as an infant. And then um, once I figured out the pattern, you know, my dad would always give me a hat, a bee hat, you know, uh, that a beekeeper would wear, you know, in the sun. And then, uh, so that really helped to uh, slow them down. Uh, but they really continued up until about age 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And then finally, at age 15 is when there was a tipping point, you know, between all the because I got into fitness, you know, I started working out as well, my dad got me a bench, a weight bench. And uh, so I lifted weights every day, I really got into fitness, you know, biking every day to school. And uh, it was at age 15 that I walked into a hospital to be retested uh, because they continually tested brain waves, you know, with Mm -hmm. EEG. And I remember that day vividly that going into the hospital, feeling like, you know, a test you couldn't study for, Mm -hmm. you know, and hoping that you would pass, you know, because I knew that this would determine whether or not the rest of my life, whether or not I could drive
1: yeah. and
0: just do simple things like it just function in society and, and have a real life, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I remember after it seemed like at the time, like three hours of testing and I was surrounded by nurses and doctors. And finally they were just puzzled. I remember looking at their faces, you know, how puzzled they were about the results. And, uh, they finally looked at me and they said, there's really no evidence anymore of any problems with your brain. And uh, we release you and we don't know why you had your problems. We don't know why you're better, but good luck. Mm -hmm. And I remember just leaving that day with just such a victory. And uh, to me, it was an answer to a prayer. really, because it was something I was pleading for help, not knowing where to turn. And yet, uh, fortunately, I had the answers before me on the farm. Right. my dad had, which was five acres, um, which wasn't far from here. It's maybe a 30 minute drive. So it's in basically Northern California.
1: And yeah, so let's talk about that. Because oh, did your parents have your your parents had an organic farm? while you were growing up? Or is that something that your dad started later?
0: No, he actually started it before I was born. Okay. And uh, so to kind of segue into his story, Mm -hmm. because that's important that uh, he pretty much, uh, so I basically, there's three generations of sickness of men in my family. I was one of them and my dad was born with a bad leg. He had varicosities, you know, varicose veins Mm -hmm. along his leg and his leg was weak because of circulation and other reasons that they couldn't explain. So he he sometimes had to stay in bed for uh, six months at a time. Oh, wow. His leg would swell to three times its size. And then I had a grandfather on my mom's side, her father, uh, who was also born with double pneumonia, if you can imagine, you know, really sick. And he had uh, problems with his spine and he had to retire early from the military at about age 35. Um, So it was my dad that really got us out of all this. He uh, basically pursued reading magazines he had you know uh, was reading about this guy that was kind of into fitness and uh, most people don't know him at all because it was back in the 1880s yeah tell me about him yeah so his name was Bernard uh, let's see Bernard uh, Bernard basically I'll to remember his last name yeah and um, so uh, McFadden Bernard McFadden. And he was born in the 1850s. And uh, he had a similar story to all of us. And basically, he was born sick. And then he ended up on a farm in Vermont. And he was adopted because both of his children, his parents died at an early age. Okay, Uh, They just didn't take care of themselves. So he became an orphan because of the uh, sad conditions of their Mm -hmm. bodies of his parents. So my dad was inspired by this man because he worked on the farm, uh, Bernard, and he became so strong and healthy by eating the food Mm -hmm. and working on the farm, the fitness and the farm, which is what I believe the gift that my dad gave to me was fitness and farming. And uh, so he was inspired by this man. And so he looked for fitness and started lifting weights. And he became fascinated with tractors and the soil. And so uh, my dad was uh, really got into soil and composting. And, wow. and so he ended up coming to California, meeting his dad uh, for the first time when he was about 19 or 20. And so this was the tipping point for all of us was my dad found his dad dead from a heart attack mm. and it was because of food. And so here, you know, his dad was eating the grandfather I never met was eating, you know, processed foods, pizza, chow mein, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, Chinese food, and it was, it killed him. And uh, he was only 55. He was basically my age. Wow! And he had this massive heart attack. And my dad had just found him as his father, pretty much. And, uh, and then he lost him. So he made that decision that day, when the uh, finally when they came and took his dad away that he had to do something different in his life. Otherwise, he would end up just like his father. Yeah. And so he did. So he uh, went and bought some land, uh, five acres, and he uh, was the worst land you could ever imagine. It was like, it was beautiful as far as where it was located. Yeah, but it was hard pan. So it's what right. we call dirt. It was truly yeah. dirt. It wasn't soil, right? And So he transformed it over, you know, five, three to five years, he brought in compost and tractors and and it was the most richest soil over the last 45, 50 years. Wow. Um, as I was growing up as a child, the the soil just became richer and richer. So he grew nuts and, and uh, fruit trees of every kind. Yeah. He grew every vegetable you could ever imagine. And uh, it was just the Garden of Eden. And so that's where I grew up. And so as I ended up with my epilepsy and then uh, ended up on the farm, uh, I just ended up you know, picking and living off all the food that restored my body and my brain. Yeah. And then learning about fitness through uh, the bodybuilding, which was the other piece that my dad got into, which was uh, lifting weights. Mm-hmm. So he was one of the, he met one of the first uh, person that um, bodybuilder in Sacramento. Uh, his name was Bill Pearl. And he created one of the, started one of the first gyms in Sacramento area. And nowadays, you know, we think of just going to. There's so many gyms to choose from. But back then, it was like the gym. Yeah. And it would be like Gold's Gym, you know. And uh, so he trained him, and he said, you know, you should be in competition. And so he became uh, Mr. Sacramento. He, he won second place. Wow. And that was like back in the '60s, you know, before I was born, and then. And how was his
1: leg at that point?
0: Uh, he actually restored his leg and, uh, great as long as he worked out and ate the food that he did. Um, yeah. and about the same age, uh, as me about age 15, he found ways to improve his health. Yeah. He was very aware of his body. And, uh, so all of these tools he had between fitness and farming, um, and his leg and I treated him later on in life. You know, once I became a practitioner of acupuncture and Asian medicine and, uh, nutrition, I treated him every week. And when he was alive, and uh, he lived a long, healthy life.
1: Yeah, that is a really beautiful story, especially because I say, you know, the true heroes on our planet truly are the farmers, because, you know, yes, we universally we all breathe. But the other thing that we universally all do is we eat you know, hopefully for most of us, we're, we're getting three meals a day in Western countries and, you know, in some other countries, you know, they're lucky if they get a meal a day, but, you know, still we need to eat as human beings and uh that's the part that unites us all and farmers are the ones that are out there doing that hard work and growing the food but beyond growing the food they have to be scientists as well they have to understand commune with nature they need to know about the soil they need to know about the air and the wind and the temperatures and the climates and and ph balance and you know and so they really are to me like heroes and i think they're the heroes that um are taken for granted because most people just go to the grocery store and there's people who don't even know that Uh, I met somebody recently who you know was telling me that she brought a friend of hers into her garden and picked carrots to give to her just as a gift to say you know take these carrots home and enjoy them and this woman and her two children had no idea that carrots came out of the ground at all and we are and I'm sure you you know, probably meet people who just have no idea where food comes from. But there's an interesting part about your story because I just cannot help feeling um, and, and relating to it in the sense that, you know, the doctors couldn't explain what was happening with my daughter. They couldn't explain what was happening with you. But because of that experience, It drove me into research and into healthcare and into food as medicine and into making these discoveries, which then enables you and I to go out there and help so many other people. So, you know, sometimes we don't know what the true cause of it was, and maybe it was just lack of nutrition and dehydration. But, you know, the fact that I love that you that that became your catalyst into into what you do now. Uh, So one thing I want to know so when the seizures stopped happening like and you had and you said around age nine when the doctors are like you're gonna have to live with this for the rest of your life tell me about how you started to understand nutrition better like what did that look like because uh, for most people who are now doing keto a lot of people don't know the story that it was discovered that you know, a keto diet helped people with epilepsy first and foremost, that's what it was used as, but tell me about how you started to learn about that.
0: Yeah. So it was really, it was just part of my world. You know, it was just like, that's all I knew, you know, my dad, I remember, um, you know, he just had, you know, fresh water as an example, he always had a distiller mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and then he studied Bernard Jensen, uh, you know, who was a really amazing nutritionist. Yeah. And uh, so it was through his experiences that he shared with me. And then Adele Davis was the other nutritionist in the sixties, you know, that some people know of. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, Jack Elaine was our other hero. So yeah. Jack Elaine was kind of like our fitness guru that we followed. And so we had this in common. And then the more that I listened to my dad, the more I started reading books when I was about 10. And the books were like Dell Davis, you know, Mm -hmm. um, let's get well, you know, and um, it was just uh, life changing for me, because I I just felt like I just dove into this. Um, Like you said, it was really the struggle was the gift. And so it's just like, I just became so consumed with looking for answers that I uh, am a tenacious person. Yes. And uh, I just don't give up anyone that knows me that, you know, you tell me not to do something or you can't do this. Uh, that just doesn't work for me. Yeah. And, and this, so,
1: I think is, I just have to jump in there. Cause I yeah. believe that this is actually really important for our listeners to understand because most people at one point in their life will be faced with a condition where their doctors will say, you are going to have to have live with this for the rest of your life. I mean, we know You know, people who are paralyzed and said, okay, well, you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life, you are going to be an amputee for the rest of your life, but it doesn't have to define your life, right, and you do not have to accept what they say as the final prognosis, and we've seen it over and over again, you know. People are given three months to live and then they end up living 20, you know, two more years. I entered into the world of nutrition through a friend of mine whose dad reversed his cancer after being given three months to live and he lived 22 more years. And this is the part where I think I would have to stress it's probably one of the most important parts about being a human is that you don't allow other people to define you to dictate your life for you. You have to be willing to say like, that is not acceptable. I am going to charge forward, and I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to hang on to hope. Like sometimes we view hope as being this thing like, oh, you shouldn't have hope in certain like dire situations, particularly around health. But no, you do need that. And so I just think that that is a remarkable thing that you did at such an early age. And then the second part about your story, which I think people just I want to really accent this is that. You just started doing research. You just started reading, and you got curious. Opposed to handing over your life to the doctors and saying, "Okay, well, they'll do the research for me, and they have all the answers." And because doctors don't have all the answers, and it's really important for people to know this. So, I just think what you did at a young age is is really remarkable.
0: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's important. I like what you said. You know, about I, I call it neutrality. You know, you have to remain neutral you know, because if you just accept the box that somebody draws for you, and you're stuck in this cage, you know, of belief, you know, yeah. and I tell that to patients all day long, you know, I'm like, well, you know, that's why you're here, right? Because you want another opinion, yeah. another idea, and then let's explore this together. And that's, and I also have to remain open to, like, they right. might bring something new to me that I'm not aware of. And I'm like, well, let's look at it. Yeah, you know, because I don't have all the answers. Yeah. And um, so yeah, so it's about exploration, and neutrality, mm-hmm. and staying open, then that remaining hopeful, you know, because when we lose hope, we lose everything, you know, right. and uh, so I tell people, you know, I don't care how old you are, or what age you are, you know, uh, the body can heal. And, and um, I, I have a great story, actually, to share of a yes, patient exactly. that I just saw literally, um, two hours ago. And uh, so she was affected by all the smoke we talked about earlier. She's in her uh, seventies and uh, she was really into health and nutrition uh, most of her life. And uh, everyone thought she was like a health nut, you know, which is a common term of the sixties, you know, hippie. And uh, so, and yet uh, all of a sudden she was, her lungs were damaged by the fires and uh, she didn't even smoke, but she ended up with emphysema. Mm -hmm. so a terrible lung condition she had to be on oxygen that she'd have to take around with her throughout her house Uh, she couldn't go to the store she was just tied to this like an umbilical cord and uh that that seemed to be her life and then uh, through a patient of mine who was her niece referred her her niece referred her to me and uh we sat down and we looked at the oxygen tank and we're like well uh, let's do something about it you know she says, Oh, really? Cause I, you know, I have emphysema and this is, you know, my label mm-hmm. and this is what I've been given. This is my sentence, you know? And I'm like, well, uh, you know, I, have helped hundreds of patients overcome this, you know? And then all of a sudden she got a little more hope, you know, I said, you know, it'd be different if I hadn't had experience with this, but I've seen hundreds of people overcome lung conditions, yeah. even as serious or more serious than yours. And so why don't we just stay open and then uh, see what you need. I'll give you what your body needs and then stand back and wait for the miracle. And that's my philosophy, you know, and of life, you know? And uh, so she just came in today, no oxygen tank, completely gone. Doctor says her lungs are like 60% better. They can't wow. believe it. She, they don't really even consider her having, it's almost like light asthma, she still has to be aware of the smoke, you know, so I've taught her about limitations and, mm-hmm. you know, but now she swims two hours a day. Wow. She exercises. She uh, incorporates, you know, all the great food. I've told her which foods to eat for her lungs. And uh, she's like a different person and uh, she got her life back, you know, but if she had believed that she would have to stay on this oxygen tank the rest of her life, she would probably just sit in front of the TV yeah. with oxygen not making a difference. And now, now with this new vitality, uh, her joy in life besides, you know, her family, of course, is her joy. Yeah. She's able to go down South to uh, LA and visit her grandson, who's four years old. And, uh, that's the, really the love of her life, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, but she wouldn't make that trip very easily. She would be tired and unable to uh, live life. Yeah. So now she's living life fully and uh, with nutrition and the right diet and uh, her lungs are healing. So we had this discussion today. She says, do you think I can get even better? Yeah. I said, why not? Yeah. I mean, why, why do you feel, you know, why would your lungs not keep going? I said, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, how much more your lungs can heal. Sometimes damage is damage, but let's keep going. And she's like, yeah, yeah let's do it. So I said, okay, hop on the table, you know, and, and I test her for more supplements. And then today I helped her at another level. Uh, we found that her, you know, heart and lungs go together, oxygen, pumping oxygen throughout the body. So I have something called a heart sound recorder, yeah. uh, which is a technique that I use to l- measure the sounds of the heart valves. Right. It's an advanced technique that goes back to the 1930s, the <laughs> original technology. And, uh, so then I found that she needed some special B vitamins, something called B four yeah, and, uh, all food-based, you know, it's made from nutritional yeast, which is something that I studied my whole life Yeah, with Adele Davis is desiccated liver, totally, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Nutritional yeast. And like, uh, anyway, I have a story on that and later, but so anyway, so she, uh, so we realized that that was the next step for her. And so now we're feeding her heart to feed her lungs and uh, she's off and running to see her grandson again.
1: And this is the part like this. I love this story so much because there are so many people right now who are in her exact same situation. So maybe it's not about the lungs. Maybe it's about, you know, another chronic illness, um, you know, and lifestyle illness, but where, where these individuals, like I could just picture You know, there's basically um, 220,000—no, sorry, 220 million people in North America that are currently in that situation. That are have been diagnosed with a chronic disease, and every single day they put the pill in their mouth. They go probably have to get prescribed another pill. The you know within a few months to within you know a couple years, many of them are taking you know up to 35 prescription drugs. They are you know sitting there in pain no energy thinking that this is it for them. Like this is how they're going to live. And I'm in the same position. I teach people how to reverse their chronic diseases using food. And then when they do it to me, I always think like, wow, that was a miracle because of the fact that that person chose to not be that other person who could have decided to just do nothing and could have just decided, you know, that this is your bout in life and this is what you've been given. And so there's nothing you can do. And so the part two that I love about this is that this happens fast. Would you say like the body heals so fast that you could literally be in this situation where it's like, you can't walk, you can't go see your grandchild. You can't, you know, some people can't even leave their house to literally being An athlete and swimming again and traveling, and really, like you said, getting your life back. It is remarkable how fast it happens. And it's not, it it doesn't take years to get your life back. It literally can take days and weeks and just a couple months to get that back.
0: That's so true. Yeah, it really is true. If if people really dive into it and if you work the program, you know, it really will transform. And I call it wheels, you know, of healing. So, it's like if you have this big tractor wheel, you know, most people that are really sick and a lot of medications that are just so slow to heal, it takes Mm -hmm. a long time for one cycle to heal your skin and your brain and your heart. Um, But there's so many things you can do to speed up the process and shorten the wheel. Yeah. Because, you know, like when we're born as infants, you know, typically, we have a healthy body, and then we have a small little wheel. It's just like really fast. Yeah, it's like infants just heal quickly, you know, and they, they grow
1: experience. quickly, and they regenerate quickly. Yep. And yeah, it's amazing. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So we just need to learn how to make that wheel smaller uh, through lifestyle and diet. And remember yeah. that the foundation is really food, like you mentioned, it's, uh, it's the key, you know, and yeah. it's really what's changed since about the 1900s is, you know, processed white flour and yeah. white sugar and those B vitamins I was talking about earlier yeah. are just stripped, you know, and uh, from our diets. And then we wonder what happened. Yeah. You know, wonder why. And uh, most people just don't make the link, you know, because it's such yeah. a, it can also be a gradual process with food of getting sick, yeah, you know, eating the wrong diet, but yet getting the right diet back in can be very rapid when we uh, dive in fully.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it can take you forty years to create your illness, but it can take you just a couple of weeks to a couple of months to like really like reverse it and be feeling amazing. So I have a question for you about when, because you studied chemistry, so you're a chemist as well, and I'm very curious about what that was like for you to study chemistry. Be, because you had already discovered how to heal yourself. You already understood the relationship between food and your body. Food was medicine to you. Um, You knew about hydrating the body. So what was that like for you to study chemistry with all of these other students who, you know, maybe were studying chemistry so they can get into med school. So it was basically like, let's just get this course done and let me pass it and let's hope I can remember the formulas just so they can, you know, progress to, to their ultimate goal of you know, wherever that was going to lead them. Because I know when I did my pre-med sciences after learning all of this, it was like, it's written in the books, like our body needs nutrients and the nutrients have to come for food. So I just want to get your perspective on that.
0: Uh, Sure. Absolutely. So really what happened to me was uh, there was a division in my mind between, you know, I love to learn. I've always, Mm -hmm. you know, my grandmother was that way Had a German grandmother, my dad's mom, that was just, you know, she would just wake up in the middle of the night, just reading a ravenous reader, you know, yeah. and uh, she was a Toastmaster and uh, up into her nineties, you know, and so that just runs in my family. And so um, I just figured that, you know, I started off in college and I studied uh, with this great interest in chemistry. And so I got a degree in chemistry. And, and uh, but I realized that on the side, I had this gift you know, of healing, because I'd Mm -hmm. healed myself. And then I had this, you know, I was just kept reading these books on nutrition. uh, But I couldn't make the connection between how do you make a living, you know, a career and this gift? And how do they come together? So I said, Well, just, you know, get a career, make some money, and and make a living. And then uh, and then I'll keep going with my nutrition and find a way to help people. Because that was my my uh, goal after healing, myself was that, uh, and being healed was to help other people, you know, share the message.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yep. No, uh, just the one part about that when you were in school, because you also had this story, you know, where did you find it easy to relate to the other students? And, you know, did you share that story with the other students and, I'm just curious about what, you know, they were thinking about you and what you thought about, you know, them and as well as your professor as well, because if your professor hadn't had a story of using food as medicine to heal themselves, you know, then chemistry can sometimes be this external reductionist, you know, view on life versus, you know, this view on holism, which I'm sure you were sitting in class, understanding the interconnection between everything, which perhaps your classmates didn't have.
0: Yeah, that's really true. So, um, in my, you know, early years of college, I would say that it was just more of an interest in learning and growing in chemistry, but I didn't really have the dialogue, you know, of, uh, so that's the other thing. I think that people need to learn how to express their story, you know, after they've had a miracle, they need to share it. And um, I just was, you know, I was actually kind of uh, considered the black sheep of the family, you know, Um, actually to be honest, it was considered my, my condition, you know, uh, my parents were very supportive of me, you know, um, but it was the other relatives that, you know, I started to doubt uh, the concept yeah. of sharing this story, you know, until I grew older in college and I had more knowledge. Then I realized yeah. that, you know, I, I kind of um, realized that this was uh, a blessing. Yeah. And so, uh, but it wasn't until later on, you know, uh, after I was at Davis, after chemistry and then engineering. Is, you know, cause I kept going with science and I was just falling in love with how things worked, you know, and uh, how to put things together and how they're connected. Cause then I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Cause the body's like this too, over here. And I was reading these nutrition books, like only if I could connect this, you know, this apple with these electrical circuits, you know, yeah. transformers, but at the time I didn't know how. And so yeah. Then I ended up as a pre-med student at Davis and I finally got back on track and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to become an MD and then I'll jump the fence and because I have all this knowledge, you know, and I didn't know else to practice medicine without a license, you know, it doesn't work uh, in that way. And so um, I ended up at Davis in uh, biochemistry. So I studied a lot of chemistry earlier, engineering, and then finally biochemistry and it was there, you're right, that I, you know, realized that everybody was just trying to pass a class and, and it wasn't about connecting, you know, the human body with disease and wellness, you know, it was just, there was no connections. It was just all segmented thought, you know? And um, so I read this book on Asian medicine and it was in the bookstore at UC Davis and uh, it changed my life forever. It just yeah. talked about, the, you know, nutrition and Asian medicine, was different than I'd ever heard of from my dad or anything else. So it was like another viewpoint of nutrition yeah. and then they talked about the body being electric and I thought, wow that's like the body's electric makes sense. Yeah. And uh, that made sense about my brain you know being healed and that there's electrical circuits and so um, so that led to a shift and I uh, had to take a leap of faith and uh, at that moment I said, I'm going to study nutrition. Cause I thought to myself, how can I help people the most? Well, um, I don't know how I'm going to use this degree. You know, I definitely don't want to work at Campbell soup, you know, but that's, <laughs> that's what my, that's actually yeah. what the people that I studied with my, uh, associates and college students, uh, they were studying to become nutritionists and dietitians at Campbell soup. And I said that, you know, I needed to use it in a different way. Yeah. No discredit to anyone on that. end, but, uh, So I ended up uh, studying nutrition and I got a degree at Davis. And then uh, from there, I felt like I had the building blocks of how the body worked, the physiology, anatomy, and how the biochemistry was coming together. So I was building this art and science and bringing them Mm -hmm. together as two worlds becoming one. And then uh, I went to Eastern Medical School and I looked up and down the state, you know, as to the best schools and ended up in San Diego. And it was there that my teachers taught me about a whole nother viewpoint of the body's electrical system. And there's a thousand points in the body. And I studied nutrition from a different viewpoint of foods being hot and cold and dry and wet and uh, conditions that match that and how I could align food with conditions to heal the body. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's really where, you know, things started to come together and kind of melt together. and uh, like a molten, you know, um, journey in my life.
1: And this is the part too, that I love about, um, you know, having studied the chemistry, the engineering, the biochemistry, and then having studied, you know, these uh, Eastern medicines as well, because of the fact that I find sometimes in the West, you know, there's almost, it's almost like a Esoteric understanding of medicine. When we talk about Eastern medicine, you know, and we talk about moving energy, and we talk about you know not eating damp foods for certain conditions, or we talk about not burning out your your fires, you know. And for some people, when they hear this, it can make it seem woohoo. When in fact, if anybody is under you know understands how how life works, biology, chemistry, biochemistry, physics works. when we use this language, it is accurate. Your body is an electrical machine. It is, you know, your calories that you're eating, you know, this is actually physical heat that you're consuming and your body is using that. And then also, you know, delivering heat out that needs to escape the body. Like these are measurable things in the world of physics and chemistry. And, you know, the thing that I find... Is that I love what you said, the merging of the art and science behind this, because it is a hundred percent accurate. There's no division. The science has always been there in Eastern medicine, which is thousands and thousands of years old but it's also how we communicate about it too and that's where I love having studied you know I did my pre-med courses and realized medicine I wasn't going to go down the route of medicine but I was so fortunate and feel so grateful that I had that understanding because now when I'm teaching I can depending on what my clients need or what the audience needs you can pull from that and then also bring together it's like the meeting of the east and the west and realizing actually we're talking about the same thing.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, that's a wonderful summary. That's so true. You need a language, a foundation. And uh, yeah, and I really believe that that's what doctors used to be, is the country doctor that I've, uh, that I've created in my practice. The concept is that uh, it really was an art, you know, at one time, you know, where they actually observe somebody, you know, their face complexion and tongue and different things, you know, which is part of Asian medicine.
1: Touch them, touch them. Right. We don't touch touch them. Exactly. That doesn't happen anymore.
0: Different smells and uh, like an observation, you know, and so there's the scientist, but the artist too, that applies personalized care to each individual. And uh, so that's wonderful what you're doing and how you're helping people. That's well, great.
1: Yeah, it's what you're doing too. So I just have to say thank you for doing that because we definitely need a lot more people out there in the world that are going to do that. And also, Eastern practitioners who explain the science to their patients because, you know, it's a lot of people don't feel very well. Like, and when I say that, I don't mean in, in fact of being sick, but they actually, can't feel. So they might go to acupuncture and acupuncture can be a very healing, moving experience, but some people are just so in their head that they're actually not feeling the energy, the pulses, the electrical charge, or the release of the energy in a particular part of their body. But once they actually start to get connected to their body, then they can see how powerful it is. And it's not a pie in the sky idea. It's actually literally moving energy through the body and you're actually getting blood flowing your micro capillaries. And so if the, you know, Eastern doctor can explain that to the patient, then that person is going to stick with it. They're not just going to say, well, I tried it once and it didn't work because it, you know, it's sometimes you need to go a few times and you need to actually be able to, you know, actually physically feel it. And then when you feel it, you actually end up feeling better as well. So let's talk about the energy piece. Cause I would love for you to explain that a little bit more. I love how you say your body, your body is a battery and how to handle the body's electrical system. So let's, let's talk about that. And how can people do that? Because I know when people are listening, they're just like, okay, tell me what to do. So what are some things that people can do to better understand that, but also bring some practices into their life?
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Qigong, you know, the practice of breathing and movement is something I've done for more than 30 years. And so that what that really helped me do was to figure out. So once again, once I healed myself uh, and was healed, then basically I had to learn about the electrical system. And so uh, before I knew about Qigong, I would just, you know, feel my hands back and forth like an accordion, you know, bringing them back and forth, almost like two magnets, you know, and that's the first thing you can do to kind of experiment and become aware you know, we all need to raise our awareness. You're like, what am I really feeling right now? You know, why is my right foot painful? You know, and they kind of uh, what I call breathing through things, you know, because breath, uh, we say that uh, the mind moves chi. And chi okay. is just defined as energy, electricity, we have electricity in our house, right? And then we have circuits that work really well, like say, all your lights work in your kitchen and your house, but maybe there's one set of lights that, you know, circuits that don't work in your kitchen. And so um, our bodies are no different. There's always things moving or blocked or deficient. So we're either right. lacking power or things are blocked. And so that's like energy flow. So you need to understand that we're electric. We have to be, every cell is connected. It's not like you just have your heart setting on the table and your kidneys are over on the living room. You know, they're all connected. But, you know, Western mind says that they're, you know, disconnected because they've done these, you know, these autopsies or, you know, this is where the kidneys belong. And so uh, I believe that's important to have a different way of thinking that you're, you're connected fully, and then you need to keep those connections going to be healthy, both your mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And so um, the best thing to do is to start with water. And so what I can recommend is just get filtered water. Um, you know, spring water, uh, but you know, water has to be clear, clean and purified. And then a pinch of salt, uh, you know, Himalayan salt or black salt, you know, experiment with salt. Salt is really powerful in small quantities. It's, uh, it was given to soldiers back in the 1800s to fight battles, you know, they actually gave it, it to them as a ration to give them energy, Cause they knew if they lost their electrolytes, they couldn't fight the battle. Yeah. So is that important? And now, you know, we see commercials on TV where, you know, salt is bad and it's, but real salt, you know, in, in real filtered water is a place to start and just kind of experiment, like, you know, start drinking enough water to where you start going to the bathroom, urinating every two hours. Cause typically at that level, your body has enough water, hydration, as long as you're not completely clear, you know, on your urine, but you want it to be straw colored and going every two hours or so, then you know, you've got enough water. And then you kind of make a journal, take a journal where you write down how you're feeling, because you'll notice your mental clarity will increase, Mm -hmm. you'll have less pain, you'll have uh, more vitality, and you just feel different with eight to 10 cups of water, or half your body weight Mm -hmm. in ounces than you do with you know, um, I mean, I just had a patient, uh, this is a perfect example of an electrical problem. A patient that came to me that, uh, that I've been treating for heart disease, helping with heart disease. And we've been reversing with diet and supplements and uh, he got his life back and he had been doing drugs for 50 years. And now he's like 72. Yeah. And uh, so he was uh, so deprived of nutrition from all the drugs Yeah, his lifestyle uh, that we've, you know, filled in the hole, the gaps, and he still has a ways to go. It's only been two years since he's been off of drugs. But the point was, he ended up in the hospital because they found him one Tuesday, two weeks ago, in bed, just like he couldn't think. He couldn't remember his family. And it was as if he was in Alzheimer's, right? It's like he fell into dementia or Alzheimer's. And then he went to the hospital And this is the concept of, you know, this type of thinking, you know, and uh, so he did an MRI, they did CT scans, they did blood work. And the only thing they found was elevated white blood cells. Okay. So there's an infection and I suspect it was a bladder kidney infection. Right. And then, um, then they sent him home. They said, there's nothing wrong with you. We have found nothing wrong with you. Go home and live your life. So fortunately he knows, you know, he's a patient still and his mom brought him back in who happens to be healthy and alive, uh, she's like in her, she's like 95 now. And, uh, we've been treating her for for years, you know, she's jumping out of planes and uh, just like amazing person has her own garden and she lives life fully. And like, we all should. And, uh, so finally I had a consult with this patient and I said, so how much water do you drink? Mm. And he said, well, about two of those bottles over there. And it was like two pints of water. And I said, that's all you drink, you know, because he plays outside, he does martial arts, he sweats, yeah. he's out in the sun. And I said, do you realize that uh, that's that can't even prime the pump, you can barely, your blood's gonna get thick, your brain won't work, <laughs> and you had an electrical collapse. That's what happened to you, you know, yeah. and after all those expensive MRIs and thousands of dollars, what really you need is electrolytes So I told him to start drinking coconut water and putting pinches of salt, you know, in his water and uh, drinking a minimum of uh, eight to 10 cups slowly. You know, when somebody doesn't drink water, they have to slowly work up to it because it's hard on their body, you know. And uh, so sure enough, that's an example of an electrical short. Yeah. So uh, start with water.
1: And a lot of the side effects from it, it's going to show up differently in everybody. You know, some pers- some people might be more susceptible to feeling like they have brain fog, other people, memory loss, other people cramping in their muscles, other people, you know, just feeling depressed. And, you know, so for everybody, it's going to be different. And so people need to understand that. But hydration, for sure, should be the number one question every. Health practitioner asks, and they don't ask that. No, very few, like rarely will a doctor say, so how much water are you drinking? You know, and how many meals did you eat today? And tell me about those meals and tell me how, tell me how many hours of sleep you got. Like those, that's the basic you know the basic questions that should be asked and unfortunately it's like you know they jump to conclusions especially as you get older as well it's like oh you're 72 like you know this could just be onset early onset alzheimer's and then before you know it you start getting treated for that so it's really important for people to go back to the basics and i love this because it's a very simple um what you're suggesting um so Okay. So this is about moving energy. Let's go back to Qigong because I just want to make sure people know, like we're going to have this in the show notes, uh, but Qigong is spelled Q-I-G-O-N-G. And this is something that you can do from home. You could watch YouTube videos. You can learn how to do this. And at first it might feel like nothing is happening But Qigong is very powerful. And I have met many health practitioner, physicians, medically trained doctors who are actually prescribing Qigong to their patients. So just tell us a little bit more about that, because I just want people to, when they listen, that they know where they can get more information about Qigong and how to apply it into their life.
0: Yes, absolutely. So uh, Qigong is basically uh, a form of martial arts in slow motion. And so you've seen like in China, you know, where they're up on the hill in the morning in a park, you know, and that's what it looks like, just a graceful movement. So it's really about, in fact, they even use it in hospitals in China, where they have a whole floor dedicated to breathing exercises. So, you know, we talked about earlier about pH and the soil. Well, the pH of the body really has to do with the soil and our soil is our blood. Are oxygen. And so you can literally change your pH and change your oxygen and, and your whole body, you know, just by breathing differently. And it slows down stress, it removes stress from the body, which is why like exercise, meditation are examples of changing your breathing. But Qigong is really focused breathing with movement. So an example would be look like you'd see somebody pushing their hands forward and backward against uh, across from their chest. And, uh, and they're breathing in a certain rhythmical fashion to be able to drive more oxygen and calm their nervous system. So it really calms your mind. And it goes from like a uh, turbulent storm uh, in your mind and your body to like a lake of peacefulness. And it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. It's actually life changing. And so I yeah. learned that at an Asian medical school.
1: Amazing. And this is something that I think, you know, corporations can bring in and, you know, they could have their employees do this for 20 minutes or even just 10 minutes a day would be so beneficial. And then in schools for children as well, like this is really important and teachers can bring this into their classrooms. And um, and, you know, if anything, you know, the number one thing that I think that's beautiful about it is it just teaches people how to breathe because we do not breathe in our society very well. So this, this is really powerful. So can we jump to the nutrition? Because we you've tapped into how nutrition healed you, healed your dad. Um, but, you know, we're living in a world where, I mean, Pretty much anything goes for nutrition. I had a doctor prescribe nutrition to one of my clients and said, because they were starting to eat clean, so they were losing weight. And the doctor was like, you're losing weight. You know, this must be because you're not eating well, when in fact, it was actually because they were eating well. And they were not, they were still overweight. And the doctor panicked and said, you know, I need you to get more fats in your diet. So I need you to eat Lay's potato chips. And, you know, this person has cancer. And the oncologist is saying eat laced potato chips and another doctor prescribed haagen to one of my clients um for you know said it'll help bring in your breast milk more because i don't think the baby's eating enough haagen Doss ice cream really like are they sponsored by these companies so right. let's talk about nutrition because it is confusing and right now we are in a keto craze where people are just like eating tons of animal fat and pouring lots of refined oils on their food and minimize not eating any carbohydrates and, you know, thinking that that is nutrition. And when we're now seeing the effects of that on people's health. So let's dive in to this hot topic.
0: Awesome. My favorite topic of all. Yes, that's great. Yeah. I would say uh, the first, you know, I like to teach principles and I have have a lot of analogies and I'm writing a book, which will be coming out in November. But I would say, uh, think of nutrition like clothes, you know, we wear clothes, uh, more clothes for protection, for support, and uh, especially when we have a a harsh climate. So if you lived in Alaska, or somewhere where there's a lot of storms, like Russia, in the winter, uh, Siberia, then you would obviously need a lot of clothing. And it wouldn't be like one pair of clothing, like just putting on good socks. You'd have to, you know, layer your body okay. with clothes to protect your feet, uh, your head, your eyes, and your chest and the rest of your body. And so that's the way uh, food is. Food should be looked at like eating the rainbow of many different colors and probably the best thing to think of as a salad. So many times people get tired of salads or they're not interested in salads, but You know, salad is defined really, in my opinion, like something raw, something organic, something local, natural, and uh, something that's living. So, you know, the minute if we cook all of our food, then we lose a lot of enzymes and those enzymes are really what keep us alive. And so you have to add vitality back to your body. And that's the purpose of food, you know, is to give us life, keep our life going and protect us, and then also promote detox, some form of detox. So there's three major reasons. And just like clothes, clothes are the same thing, they protect us, mm-hmm. they support us. And, uh, and then when you go to the gym, and you sweat, you know, um, you wear different clothes, and that promotes detox. Yeah. And so it's the same concept. So I think that that's the first step is to think of clothes as protection. Yeah. And uh, so you know, how much can a pizza protect you? right, or a block of cheese, or, you know, so uh, salami, or, you know, something is processed, so all these keto foods, like you're talking about, we have to stop and think and have a little more um, discussion with, you know, um, like, how much can bacon protect you mm-hmm. You know a slab of bacon, I'm not saying that bacon's bad necessarily, but it just doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it. It's yeah. just fat, animal fat, and some protein. But you know, like I recently saw some at the store, you know, some bacon, the way bacon looks now, from what I remember as a kid, we never really ate bacon. But it's like, it's just full of fat. There's just like a slab of fat. And uh, the animals are affected by, you know, what we feed them, all the GMO corn and feed. So you have to also eat close to the ground. I always say close to the ground, like, you know, uh, like an apple is an apple if it's organic and something that has no label on it is the best thing. Try to eat foods without labels. Yeah. Like it's an apple, it's kale, salad, one uh, ingredient,
1: one ingredient food,
0: right? One ingredient food. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Otherwise, you know, apple sauce is not an apple. It's been pulverized, beaten and, um, you know, stripped, of nutrition. And so we have to realize that, um, uh, we don't have to rely on all of these, uh, you know, uh, different, uh, processings to get food. I mean, it can be that simple, sit down and have an avocado yeah. and put some uh, salt on it. You know, I mean, that's some of the meals that I eat are just simple. Right. And so you don't have to be a chef. You can just find some real food and eat it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this is a part that, um, I think is so confusing to people because they're now, you know, I get a lot of questions like, you know, well, how long should I eat this nutritious, healthy food for? And I say, well, you know, we're not doing a diet. We're not doing a cleanse. I'm, you know, I'm teaching a lifestyle, which is the same for you as well. It's, you know, that question should actually be like, okay. And not even a question. It's actually like, okay, great. I'm changing my life and I'm going to eat this food because you know for the rest of my life because i want to be healthy and i want to sustain my health and not even just sustain where you're at right now but you want to elevate it to the next level um and then even elevate it beyond that because you can go from being extremely sick to being the very opposite so extremely healthy and vibrant and climbing mountains um and you're going to create so much energy through this food as well like you're going to transform your whole entire existence on the planet so okay so with eating to people are often right now you know like oh should I eat the cashews or can I eat certain food so I find that it's almost like we it's become so prescriptive in the world of nutrition that people are losing their intuition as well around food so what are some tips for people who've arrived at that place? Because people are arriving at that place. We have people who are suffering from orthorexia where they're afraid to eat food, like even healthy food, because, you know, they almost need someone to tell them it's, it's okay to eat romaine lettuce. It's okay to eat kale. And you know what? Cook your kale. Maybe even try eating the kale raw, but they're so afraid. So what are some tips that you have? You know, I love the one, one ingredient, no label, like that makes it easy for people to know, eat a salad, you know, because it's living and it's full of life, eat that. So what are some other tips that you have?
0: Yeah, are all really good points. I would say, you know, trust yourself, trust your intuition, you know, and uh, like I, uh, I'll just share a personal experience. You know, um, I, uh, I love dark chocolate. And I always look for chocolate that has Stevia instead of sugar. Yeah. And, and now I've gotten to the point where, you know, I've climbed uh, what I call climbing the mountain of health, like you mentioned. And I tell my patients this, that, you know, you might be shopping at seven 11, you know, you might be shopping some store and then maybe that's where you are, but as long as you keep improving, you know, striving to, for better food without judgment, you know, just keep going, you know, don't stop and don't feel like you have to live in the forest and eat berries and, yeah. you know, chew on bark. And so I think that, um, for me, I, I love dark chocolate and, uh, but then I realized that, uh, you know, I was really magnesium deficient mm-hmm. and cause that's where the predominant source of, uh, chocolate is magnesium.
1: Exactly.
0: And, uh, so I noticed that as I got more, uh, nutrition, more magnesium in my diet, um, I don't have, I mean, I like chocolate and, and now I use actually dark cocoa Nibs, so they're right. no, no sweetener at all, and they're like sweet enough for me. Naturally, they're just a bitter. I just enjoy that flavor. Yeah, you know? uh, just enjoying the food itself without anything else, you know. And uh, so now I don't really I enjoy chocolate, but I don't need it every day. Yeah, uh, and it's because my chemistry has shifted. So you have to be observant, and you have to realize that if you want cashews, they sound good to you, have some cashews. You know, yeah. as long as it's whole food, natural, organic, and better than what you were doing before, yeah, it, it can only help.
1: And I like, and that's where I think that those parameters, I would say, because we, we like boundaries as humans. We like to know that stop signs mean stop and that you don't get to just race through there. It makes us all feel safe and it actually keeps us safe. So boundaries are good. And I like these parameters that you're putting up because they're broad enough Um, But not prescriptive. So, you know, whole food. So what is a whole food? So whole food is something that comes off a bush, it comes off a tree, it comes from out of the ground, it comes off a vine, and it hasn't been processed or manipulated yet. And then that is a whole food. And Cooking it does process it for sure, but, you know, certain foods you're going to cook and certain foods you're going to eat raw and a lot of foods you can eat them cooked and raw. But the fact is, it hasn't been processed in a manufacturing plant and then put in a box or a bag. Those are not those are not whole foods, even if on the count on the box, it's written whole foods. That's not a whole food anymore. And so that is a really easy parameter. To work within um, organic, I find is a very good parameter as well. Um, and sometimes I like to say organic or not sprayed, because sometimes there's farmers that are in transition, but it's not certified official organic. But that's when you have to ask the farmer that question: like, do you spray your food? Do you treat your food with you know the soil with um, you know chemical fertilizers? And so you can ask that of your farmers. But you know, so aim for organic. I like that. Um, so whole food, organic food and, um, and foods with no labels, one ingredient foods, easy. You have 350,000 options on the planet to choose from now.
0: Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, no, I really, I think that is, that is brilliant. I also like the point that you brought out. Um, you only have a couple minutes here, but the, the, That analogy, I just want to bring people back to that is thinking about how we layer ourselves with clothes and applying that to how we layer ourselves with nutrients, especially the part about comfort, because I think a lot of us do eat out of comfort, right? We are wanting something, um, we are craving something, we are needing something, a lot of times we just need a hug. But instead somebody will crush a bag of potato chips because, you know, they feel comforted by that. And you can still eat comfort foods, like a potato is a comfort food, right? But a bag of potato chips, you know, sure, maybe that's comfort, but maybe it's just the potato, that whole food. So you still work within those parameters and you can still have that comfort food. And the other part too that I really like that you said is about um, understanding the difference between comfort and deficiency. Or craving and deficiency, and particularly around magnesium because we're also magnesium deficient. And what I found with my clients too is once they restore their deficiencies, whether it's the B vitamins, the magnesium, uh, the potassium, the you know these important minerals that our body needs so much of, once you restore that, all your cravings melt away. So if you're someone that is suffering from cravings, you know what are some suggestions? And we'll and we'll wrap up with this because we're almost at an hour, and I know you are busy and have lots to do. So what are some suggestions that you have for people who do have cravings?
0: Well, with cravings, I would say uh, to really understand, stop for a moment and observe your pattern, you know, mm-hmm. of food, you know, like what do you, like you just said, you know, like the potato chips, you know, is it really the salt, you know, maybe it's just getting more salt in your diet, you know, doing a pinch of salt with lemon drink in the morning, you know, and, and then uh, observing, you know, maybe your cravings for potato chips will go away. Or eating a potato, like you said, uh, like, I remember a book years ago, potatoes, not Prozac, you know, and it was like, that was life changing, actually, because I helped develop a drug detox program, when I got out of Eastern medical school. And it was life changing, you know, and uh, we taught people that making these protein shakes for the brain, you know, with berries and uh, protective neurotransmitters, with the right fats, like avocados Mm -hmm. uh, could literally change somebody that was addicted to cocaine and the addictions could literally go away Mm -hmm. and uh, within, you know, weeks, literally. And so uh, I would say the law of substitute is the other rule that I have. Like, you know, if you're eating potato chips, try to find something that's similar, you know, like what's in the potato chip? Like, well, maybe I like salt, maybe like potatoes. Well, then just have a potato. Yeah. You know, and then it's just a substituting something that's processed for something that's, you know, whole food. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and then uh, go from there.
1: And maybe it's just the texture and the crunchiness as well. Like it's actually exciting to eat that that part lights up your brain, or maybe it's the vinegar. I know for myself, it's vinegar. Like I, if I have, if I'm craving a bag of potato chips, it actually means that I need to have a salad that is made with an apple cider vinegar dressing. And it's, you know, just, potential digestive enzymes that I'm needing and and all the other properties that you know apple cider vinegar vinegars provide so it's important for people to really to to, and I think you hit the nail on the head there it is to stop for a moment and observe yourself and just ask the question you know what's going on right now what is it that I need? What do I need help with? Um, And then from there, you can learn so much about yourself. And, you know, a lot of us are not who are listening to this podcast. You're not living in a country where you are starving. In fact, you could probably, you know, reduce your calorie consumption by a little bit and you'll be fine. And so you do have time to pause, to take a breath and to simply just observe what's going on in yourself right now. So how can people work with you?
0: Yes. So uh, basically, I, um, I uh, have a clinic, you know, uh, where I see patients all over the world. And uh, occasionally, you know, when people can't come to see me, uh, I send scanners through the mail. And so they're electrical scanners out of Germany, 60 years of research, mm-hmm. and out of Australia. And so these are hand scanners that they just put their hand on the scanner, they hook up to their computer, and then I do a zoom conference, and then i can find out what they need nutritionally and electrically what's going on and we deal with a lot of scars as well that's something maybe another topic we could talk about yeah but uh that's another electrical break that people have in their bodies is scars from tattoos piercings injuries and surgery and so we put together nutritional programs where they you know we figure out the right diet and lifestyle and uh, including therapies that we offer here in the clinic. And so we have a therapy clinic as well, all part of the same when we're treating patients and finding out what they need. So it's really a whole wellness program.
1: Amazing, so do people have to travel to you then? I guess when COVID is a little bit behind us, then people would travel with you to work with you at the clinic and then you get them set up with the program and then they're able to continue doing, doing the work at home. I imagine, because you're teaching lifestyle.
0: That's right. That's correct. And then I always teach people that, you know, I'm writing a manual for your body Mm -hmm. so that you can use this rest of your life. And once they understand what they need and how their body works and they become the medical detective, finding the right foods, the right lifestyle and the right nutrients, uh, then they can apply that for the rest of their lives.
1: That's amazing. That's a good title for your book, Be Your Own Medical Detective. I like it. (laughs) What is the title of your book? Do you have one yet?
0: I do. I'm working on it. It's just basically understanding your body, understanding your life.
1: Mm, That's beautiful. And how can they find you? Instagram, website?
0: Yeah. So website is summersholistichealth.com. And that's the best place. I also have an app. You can download the app for free. And I have YouTube channel and podcast as well, but uh, go to the website. That's probably the best place to start. Summers with an S-O-M-M-E-R S, summersholistichealth.com.
1: Incredible. So we'll have all the links in the show notes so everybody can find Scott and the incredible work that he is doing. And please, if you have a chronic degenerative disease and illness of any type, please reach out to Scott and, you know, start working with him because he can set you on the right path to a rich, beautiful, energetic life. Thank you, Scott, for being on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And then also the one thing I forgot was the life changing health tips is our podcast. So
1: life-changing health tips. Perfect. I'm going to download that and start listening to it. Amazing. Thanks for being on our show.
0: Thanks so much. It was really great. It was a pleasure.
1: Welcome back as promised. Was that not an incredible show with Scott summer? He's doing such brilliant work. I really hope that the borders open so that if you are sick and you need help, you're going to be able to make it over to uh, Scott summer's clinic and get the help that you need. Now, a few other things that are happening on our end of the world, as many of you know, we did sell our Nutrition and Detox Wellness Center, but the good news is is that we are building out our schedule for retreats for next year. We're not going to do anything this year. We want to see how everything unfolds with COVID, if we're going to potentially enter into another lockdown. There's lots of data coming out out there showing that Even people who are double vaccinated are not able to withstand the side effects and symptoms of the new variants of COVID. So we just want to stay safe and we want to also keep others safe. So we're not planning any trips this year. But for next year, we have several retreats that we are starting to put together in many locations such as Hawaii and Bali and Costa Rica. And we really hope that you can join us so that you can dive into our kitchens, get your fingers dirty in the food and learn all about food as medicine and how you can use this to reverse even the most advanced chronic illnesses. So Mm -hmm. we'll have more information in the show notes so that you can sign up for our, our wait list for these retreats. Our retreats in the past always sell out quickly. So you definitely need to get onto that wait list so that you can be included in these amazing healing journeys that we are creating for you. So thanks everyone for listening once again to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Do what you do. Go out there and share it with people you know because just that one act alone of pressing forward and send will and can potentially help a loved one reverse their chronic disease, expand their lifespan and really just get them back to living their ultimate life that they were designed to live. So thanks for sharing this podcast with your friends and family and colleagues at work. And we'll see you again next week.